This is the Build Wealth Canada Show, episode number 74. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hello, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada Show. One of my favorite things to do on the show is to interview other early retirees, especially those in Canada, to learn how they did it and really dissect their journey to financial independence and or early retirement. Now, no matter where you are on your financial independence journey, I truly believe that we can all learn from others that have done it. And so I like to view what they did as a case study where we can break down their journey into actionable parts that we can apply to our own lives. There are, after all, many paths to financial independence, and so it's valuable to know what those paths are so that you can pick and choose the components that are the best fit for you and that are the most aligned with your own goals. And so our guest today is Rajan Van. Rajan worked in the insurance industry for eight years before retiring at 29 and becoming a full-time parent. Rajan and his wife, Danielle, along with their three young children, live in Northern Ontario, and they write regularly on topics related to parenting, health, mindfulness, and money, and you can follow them over at mindfulfamily.ca. Now, Rajan recently published Five Years to Freedom, a Canadian guide to early retirement, which documents his journey to financial independence. In this interview, he's going to take us through his early retirement story and how he got there, the lessons that he's learned along the way, which you can then apply in your own life to help you retire earlier, and how he was able to cut $53,000 in spending annually by retiring early. Very, very interesting piece. And also how he and his wife were able to retire so early despite having three young kids, which is often perceived as very difficult due to how expensive many believe kids are. So we're going to cover all that and much more in the interview. Now, before we get into that, I have some really exciting news in that my favorite bank and the bank that I personally use is now letting us have RRSPs and TFSAs with them. Now, why am I actually excited about this? Well, it's because they are currently offering 2.3% interest on money that you have in those accounts, which is way more than what I'm seeing from other banks in Canada by far. Uh, Plus, there's no fees, no minimum balances, and it's secured by the government through CDIC insurance. Now, you may be wondering, Cornell, why would you recommend this? Don't you do passive index investing by buying ETFs in your RRSPs and your TFSA where you can get an even higher rate of return? And the answer is yes, definitely. That is what I do and what I suggest you do when it comes to ramping up your retirement savings for sure. But it's important to remember that not everyone is ready to have most of their savings in the markets because while the expected return in the markets is higher then these RRSP and TFSA savings accounts, you also get a lot more volatility by investing in the markets. And depending on your situation, you may not want that volatility yet and would rather have that safer, more secure, and less volatile investment. During COVID, for example, it was pretty common to see a 30% decline in the stock portion of your portfolio. The markets have recovered since then, but obviously not everyone is comfortable with that level of volatility. So these safer investments where you're guaranteed to not lose money can help smooth out such major market declines. Now, just to give you some context, the rate that EQ has on their RRSP NTFSA is 2.3% at the time of this recording, which, like I said, is much, much higher than what I'm seeing being offered by other banks and their high interest savings account is also at 1.5%, which, like I said in the past, is up to 30 times higher than what many other banks are offering in Canada. So definitely worth considering and all that money is guaranteed and safe as it's covered by the government's CDIC insurance. So if you do choose to sign up, 
direct EQ savings account, their RRSP, or their TFSA, or all three, then all I ask is that you use my link to sign up, which is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ, as that would help really support the show. And as a thank you for doing that, I'll also send you my guide on all the investments that I personally buy and own with explanations on why I chose them, which I think will help you a lot in optimizing your own investments, your own portfolio, and becoming aware of some of the top ETFs in Canada with the lowest fees while also seeing really a well-optimized model portfolio that you can use yourself if you want. So to get that, just sign up for a free high-interest savings account over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E, the letter Q. And once you have that account, you can open up a free TFSA and or RRSP account and just send me any confirmation that you get from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the guide for free. All right, so thank you in advance for supporting the show in that way. Enjoy the guide. And now let's get into the interview. And remember, the RSP season ends at the end of February. So basically, the clock is ticking if you do want to put money into your RSP and have that lower your income proportionally from the prior year. So definitely something to have on your radar as February is almost over. All right, now let's get to the interview. All right, Rajan, welcome to the show. Hey, Cornell, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Really Looking forward to this interview and uh, happy to be on a show that I actually follow and listen to regularly. So it's kind of uh, a little bit of nervousness and a little bit of excitement to be on a, you know, it feels semi-famous to be on a show that I actually follow. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm, I'm super excited uh, to have you on. I'm always on the prowl for uh, early retirees, specifically in Canada, uh, because, you know, we hear a lot about different retirees in the US and that's awesome. And there's a lot to learn from them. And, you know, I'm happy to have them on too. But when we hear about a Canadian that's pulled off an early retirement, you know, I, I just really want to talk to them, right? Because we obviously have a different tax code. We've, you know, our sort of different investment options than the U.S., different fees and all that. And so it's really great to get a Canadian perspective. And I know just from the feedback I've received, a lot of Canadian listeners appreciate that, that this is very much a Canadian-specific show. And so it's a lot more uh, practical uh, and they can actually apply what they learn on it because they know it's actually relevant to to them because it's all in Canada. So yeah, so super, I'm, I'm very, very excited as well. Maybe for anybody that hasn't heard of you, can you take us through your early retirement story and how you got there? Uh, sure. So my wife and I, we, we, we took a pretty quick path to early retirement. We were always pretty good with our money and financially and somewhat frugal, but we were living a pretty, I'd say, higher lifestyle, higher expense lifestyle in uh, Ottawa, Ontario. And uh, we sort of uh, stumbled across the fire movement or financial independence in 2015. And we sort of, a light went off in our head on, you know, getting to early retirement and we really like accelerated our plans and we retired in uh, 2018. And so just three years after we actually discovered early retirement. So we were all, we were, like I said, we were, we were all re- ready on the, a pretty good financial trajectory, but we, we had just purchased a big house in, in the city in Ottawa. Um, we had a pretty expensive mortgage. We had car payments. We had uh, daycare payments and we, uh, we had careers and we were, pretty ambitious career-wise. And for us, I think uh, what prompted us to early retirement is that when we started having children, we uh, we really reflected on our lives and we realized that we didn't really want to keep working forever. And around that time, we discovered Mr. Money Mustache. I was just one day stumbled across one of his uh, newspaper article that was written about him in the Globe and Mail and uh, got really intrigued by the idea of extremely early retirement 
I, I originally thought early retirement was like, oh, maybe we can pull this off, you know, in our forties, maybe we don't have to work till we're 60 and maybe, you know, we can travel the world in our forties. That, that's, that was my idea of early retirement. And then when I heard of Mr. Money Mustache's story of retiring when he was 30, it really prompted us to reflect on that idea and to see if it was too good to be true or if it was actually a feasible idea. So my wife and I started following Mr. Money Mustache and essentially went on to read every single article he wrote up to that point, which I think was about 250 articles. And we learned how to pull it off and then started devising our own plan. And we came to realize that we really only needed $30,000 a year to to live uh, comfortably in retirement. This would be done essentially just by cutting out daycare costs, cutting out most of our transportation costs, which were related to car payments. And the big, the big one would be getting rid of our mortgage. Getting rid of our mortgage was accomplished by essentially just using the equity built up in you know, a house in a big city like Ottawa and using it to buy a smaller house in a smaller town, which had much lower cost of living. And for us, that was accomplished pretty smoothly. Um, we just moved to Northern Ontario. We made about $150,000 by selling our, our house. And with that money, we were able to buy a property mortgage-free. And we've been living mortgage-free ever since. And we've been able to continue living here on $30,000 a year and uh, living happily retired now for almost three years. And yeah, that's, uh, that's, how, we, that's how we got to, to where we are today. And then in the last six months or so, I've been documenting my, what we did to get to this point, and which led to me writing this, the book that I recently published called Five Years to freedom, which uh, documented our, our story to, and to sort of try to inspire people to tr- try to also aim for early retirement uh, as young as we did and showing how it's actually possible and quite easy, in, especially in Canada, because we, we do have a lot of advantages being in, in this country. Awesome. And yeah, the audio cut out a little bit there as you were talking, but the, the book is called Five Years to Freedom in case somebody missed it. And is the best yeah. place to check it out, would it be just to Google it on Amazon or what's your preference? Yeah, the uh, best bet is you just go on Amazon, you search Five Years to Freedom. It's a Canadian guide to finance, uh, to early retirement, sorry. And uh, the or you could just go on our website. Our website's mindfulfamily.ca and there's a link on there to get, get a copy on Amazon as well. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's 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 being sold right now exclusively through Amazon, so that's the the best place to to get it. That's great. Yeah, it was really enjoyable book. I, I read the whole thing. I want to make sure I, I read it before the interview, uh, and I got I got pretty hooked on it. Once I started, I was really in because, like I said, it's pretty pretty rare to see someone retire that early, specifically in Canada. And then the other big thing, which I know we'll get to later in the interview, is that you also have three children. And and so, I mean, that's very unique. And the other, which, you know, people will argue, well, that makes it so much tougher, right? So we'll definitely dive into that as well. But I mean, you kind of give, I think, hope for a lot of people where, okay, wait, you can stay in Canada, you can have children, and you can still retire early. That's a very encouraging thing. Uh, So I think that's definitely great. And also, it's not like you sold your house and then you you know moved your entire family with three kids to some inexpensive country in Asia, right? Which is totally you know fine if that's what someone wants to do. But I'm sure for a lot of Keynes listening, that may not be on your radar. Like I know for us, we've got family here, you know, we've got our parents here in Canada. We don't want to move across the world. We we want to see them more often, that kind of a thing. And so it's nice to hear that 
both for myself and also in your case, yeah, we did the early retirement thing and you are actually able to stay in Canada. You don't have to uproot your entire family. So um, so that's that's really great. And now as someone that's been retired for three years yourself, uh, you're now in your early 30s. What are some of the lessons you learned that could help aspiring early retirees or those that are new to retirement? For me, I'd say reflecting back now in the last three years, what I would, the biggest lesson I got out of being retired early is that I probably worried too much. <laughs> I always thought like, maybe I'm not worrying enough. Maybe I'm not, you know, at the beginning and when I was putting together the plan to retire early, I was thinking, am I missing something? Is this too good to be true? Am I going to, you know, have to go ask for my job back six months down the road? Um, so there's a lot of worries about, you know, is, is, you know, are we doing the right thing? Like I, overall, I was, I was very confident about our situation, but there was still part of me that was always very risk adverse. And it was always thinking like, you know, is this too good to be true? Um, so at the beginning of our, you know, of being retired, I still closely monitor our expenses. I would get sometimes worried if, you know, an issue came up with some of our investments, um, particularly with our rental property investments. Um, I kept thinking of worst case scenarios, you know, what if, you know, uh, what if we, 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 our, our income streams dry out or what if we, you know, our spending's way higher than we anticipated. Um, but year after year, we, and month after month, we keep beating our expectations. Like our, you know, we, even though we've, we've done a lot of traveling, we've, we've, we've bought a lot of things that were important to us and that we liked, and we still haven't surpassed spending $30,000 in any given year. And we've, we keep, surpassing our expectations from an income standpoint you know we even you know we run into issues we run into obstacles with our rental properties and with our investments but in the in the long term we always keep you know surpassing what our expectations are from an income standpoint and so yeah that's the that's the the, the thing my number one lesson i find from being retired is you know don't worry too much i am i'm always thinking of the Mr. Money Mustache article that he wrote uh, a while ago called First Retire, Then Get Rich. And it was kind of like, yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you once you're retired, you, you get a lot more freedom. You, 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 you do, you know, um, you, 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 a lot of people do end up getting richer after they retire. So, and I think that's the case with us. For sure. And I've talked to definitely my share of, of early retirees and, and I found that's a very common thing is to get scared and a bit nervous in the very beginning because you're new to it. And I even read some stats somewhere how one of the most stressful things in someone's life is actually when they retire, not necessarily just early retiree. I imagine it's even more so when you're an early retiree because you've you've got a lot more years you need to cover with your investment income. Um, But I mean, definitely it's a stressful thing. I've definitely gone through it. And I mentioned on the show before uh, with Bryce and Christy, they were on Canada's other really early retirees. I remember, (laughs) I would say Christy's like my, almost like my shrink, you know, she'd, I'll get all nervous and everything, you know, before handing Mm -hmm. him the resignation and she'd kind of, you know, talk me through it. just to calm me down, right? Because so I was the same way, very, very worried. And I still, you know, I'm still not 100% as relaxed as I'm, as I think Mr. Money Mustache is. But I, mm-hmm. I, I've noticed definitely kind of like you, I think that as the years go on, you start, you know, you start kind of, hey, this actually isn't as difficult and isn't as crazy as maybe I initially thought. And you actually do have a lot of options when you do have all that time freed up as well. Um, so yeah, so I, I definitely hear you. And it seems like we both of us had a very similar uh, experience in that regard. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that. Is there anything that surprised you after you became an early retiree? For example, were there any preconceived notions or assumptions of what you thought 
early retirement would be like, and then it ended up being something totally different. You mentioned how it isn't as sort of stressful anymore, but is there anything else like that? Um, well, one big thing that that when I when I like uh, when I wrote the book is that uh, the the idea of, of 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 a financial crisis, and and I there's an entire chapter dedicated to financial crises in the book. Um, you know, leading up to early retirement, uh, you know a lot of people talk about the 4% rule or you need to, you know, have a certain amount of um, investments and, but you need to be on the lookout that there could be, you know, a market crash or financial crisis. And that could really, um, really screw up your plans. You know, if you retire with a, with a net worth of say a million and then your first year retired, you, you, you get a market, you, you suffer through a market crash, like the 2008 recession. And, you know, all of a sudden your net worth is 500,000. Well, um, I'm sure that could, you know, lead to a, a lot of fears for a lot of people and a lot of anxiety. So we were, we were always on the lookout for that. When we retired, we said, you know, if there's a financial crisis, you know, we need to be ready for it. You know, we need to be willing to be flexible. If there's a financial crisis and we lose half our net worth, maybe we'd have to go back to work for a little bit. Um, you know, there, a lot of things can happen, especially if you, if you have, if you have a financial crisis very early on in your retirement. So for us, sure enough, um, you know, we were less than two years into our financial independence journey or retirement and um, the financial crisis of 2020 happened. And, you know, the, with the COVID pandemic and the world being shut down and the, uh, the markets crashed and went down, I think, nearly 40 percent. And we saw a big drop in our net worth right away. Even our you know, real estate holdings, we saw, wow, the, the market's going to suffer here as well. Um, so we were ready for it. We were thinking, you know, we'll cut down. We, if we have to go back to work, we well, you know, well, but the big thing that surprised me was that, you know, surviving a financial crisis really wasn't that hard. And I mean, this may be a very unique situation, but um, as we saw 2020 unroll, um, real estate prices shot up, um, stock market rebounded drastically, um, which led to us having pretty much our best financial year ever was 2020, which is, you know, um, the biggest surprise that I've seen in our early retirement journey so far, um, just how, you know, our first financial crisis was essentially, you know, a cakewalk. But I don't expect that, you know, the next one will be this easy. But it's uh, it's just one thing that really surprised me from uh, from 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 jumping into, you know, early retirement. Gotcha. And yeah, I find too that you and I are pretty unique in the early retirement space in Canada because we both got to early retirement utilizing passive investments like investing in index funds, but we also used rental properties to get us there. Now for me, passive index investing was a better fit. So that's all that I do now. I don't have any more uh, rentals, but for anybody that is debating using one of them or both of them, what's been your experience in using these different vehicles? Um, that's a, that's a great question. Cause I, you know, for, for us, we, we needed rental properties to be part of our, our investment strategy because we, we weren't planning to retire with a, um, you know, with a million dollar net worth that we can just live on 4% for the rest of our lives. Um, because we weren't, we didn't think we'd, we'd be at a million dollar net worth by the time we retired. We, we wanted to retire in, when, in under five years and you know, we weren't, we weren't, close enough to let's say a million dollars in invested assets. Um, so we saw real estate as being something that can, you know, propel us to early retirement quicker because the thing with real estate is you can, you can uh, achieve much higher return on investments with real estate. 
the thing that the the the, the downs the downside with real estate is that you know it is less passive than purely investing in index funds. The with the, with real estate though you can you know you can really dictate how high or how low you want your ROE to be your ROI to be sorry and um, so for us like at the beginning of our journey we 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 bought two rental properties when leading up to our early retirement because we wanted to generate all our passive all of our income required in retirement just through real estate and we wanted our our index investments just to be our sort of what if money our our safety net so we invested in two rental properties and um, we were able to achieve a very high return on investment on them because we did essentially everything ourselves we managed everything we we could we did as much of the renovations to these properties as much as much of the maintenance as we could we traveled a lot because these rental properties were in a different town than where we were living at the time. Um, and in the process, we were able to increase rents. We were able to make the, the buildings more efficient. And we achieved very high return on investments, being able to get to over 30000 in, in passive income just on two rental properties. Since then, um, since being retired, you know, we, we've been able to sort of step back and, and sub out a lot more things related to our rental properties. Because we've been able to see that, you know, maybe we don't need such a high return on investment. So we can we can take a bit of a step back and and not have to sort of do everything on the properties. Just just this past in the past year, you know, we had to redo some shingles on the property. And this is something, you know, I could have taken on myself, but I got a contractor to do it. And uh, same thing with some snow removal. We used to do almost all the snow removal in our on our properties in the wintertime, and now we're we're leaning more towards using some some third-party services for that. So that's what I like about the, the real estate side of investment. You can sort of control how passive it is um, or decide how passive you want it. You could be 100% passive or you could be totally hands-on. Um, and then the other part of investing in real estate that I like is that it diversifies your your uh, your your assets as well. So, um, you know, if there's a market crash um, strictly affecting, you know, the stock market, but the real estate market, you know, doesn't suffer um, a crash. Well, then you're sort of protected because half your assets are, you know, in real estate. Uh, conversely, you know, if there's a real estate crash, but the stock market is still doing okay, then, you know, I kind of like the diversification from that standpoint. Um, but that being said, you know, I do s- see ourselves moving more and more towards the 100% passive index fund route, like such as what you did, uh, what, what you're, you're doing now. Um, in the future, um, because um, you know, at some point we're you know we're going to want to be completely detached from um, you know from maintenance and from you know being a property manager. And um, I like the idea of being 100% in index funds. And I think one day you know we may be shifting more and more of our assets towards index funds and uh, just to become 100% passive as we get older and we want to be you know you know purely you know, retired in the traditional sense. That's great. Yeah, I definitely, well, one of the reasons I got so excited about having you on was that you took a different path. And so it really is nice to see or to at least show in real life that there isn't just one path to early retirement, one path to financial independence. There's actually different ones you can take. So, you know, I I look at, I mean, for like in our case, it was, yeah, we did the real estate thing, but then I just said, okay, let's just go all passive. And so that's, so I kind of did a combination of the two, but then when we actually 
retired, it was all through you know, passive index funds. And then you look at someone like Bryson Christie, who, who've been on the show here before and at the summit several times, they almost did kind of like the opposite of what you did, where they didn't they didn't own any real estate at all. They basically rented. And so they were able to you know, pay less that way. And then they basically just took all that money and they invested it, right? Instead of just spending it on on you know frivolous things or whatever, so they kind of did the no home no home ownership, no rental property, just all index funds are right from the get go. Whereas mine was a bit of a hybrid, and then yours is an even different one where it's okay. We actually are going to primarily live off of our real estate, and we're going to use that as sort of like a shortcut to get to five faster because there are more things within your control. And and there was obviously no free lunch. And I remember reading in your book, you know, some of the horror stories you had with the tenants and the properties and all that kind of thing. So definitely, it wasn't it wasn't easy money. I think you would probably agree because uh, <laughs> reading what I read yeah, in your book, sure. it's, you know. So it's like, yeah, you were able to get there quicker through it, but you were definitely. I mean, we even you even just said you put in a lot of work into it uh, with you and your wife to be able to get there. And now you're living off the real estate. And from what your book, you mentioned that you. you you're gonna use your investment portfolio maybe a bit later, or you start transitioning to more passive as well. So, yeah, very, very, I think big takeaway here is that there are different ways to get to that early retirement. You could go real estate with just your house. You could go real estate with rentals. You could do just passive index investing, or you could do a hybrid approach. There isn't sort of one solution, and only that one solution works, and that's it. So, I think that's very encouraging for for a lot of people for sure. So, thank you for sharing that. And now a quick break to tell you about some of the resources you may find helpful on our Build Wealth Canada site. With the amount of questions I get from the show, it's impossible to reply to everyone. So what I've done is brought in two resident experts that you can speak to for free to get some of your questions answered. So for financial planning related questions, we have John Kalos. He's been one of the show's most popular guests. He's a certified financial planner and is who I use to crunch all our numbers before we retired to make sure that we have enough to do an early retirement and won't run out of money and have to go back to work. So maybe you're saving for retirement and want to know if you're on the right track and are saving enough to retire early, or maybe you just have some questions and want to make sure you have your finances in order. So John's able to help you with those kinds of questions, and he's agreed to give Build Wealth Canada listeners a free 30-minute consultation so you can at least get some of your questions answered. I created a page where you can sign up to get a free 30-minute consultation, and when you sign up, you'll also be emailed a guide on the top questions to ask when looking for a financial planner or advisor. So that's over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash John. And if you have any investing-related questions, that's the area that I'll be tackling. I answer all questions from students of the investing course, where you learn everything you need to know to be a do-it-yourself passive investor and pay the absolute lowest fees on your investments. And it actually shows you how to completely bypass the fees that robo-advisors charge, which can easily cost you tens of thousands of dollars over your investment lifetime. And then, of course, you see videos of me actually investing my own money so you can see how to do everything step by step. And I'm just an email away if you have any questions. So these lessons helped us retire in early 30s, and we still use them to this day. You can learn more about the course and try it risk-free over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash invest. That's buildwealthcanada.ca 
Ca slash invest. And last but not least, the other resident expert that I brought on is there to answer your mortgage-related questions. So Sean is the best-selling author of the book, Burn Your Mortgage. He's been on CTV, Global News, CBC, The Globe and Mail, and many others. He's a licensed mortgage broker too. So I definitely also encourage you to reach out to him if you're looking to get a new mortgage or if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, as at the very least, he'll be able to provide you with a shortlist of the best mortgages that he's been able to find across all of Canada with the latest rates. None of this costs you anything and there's no obligation to get your mortgage through him or use any of those suggested mortgages. So I made a special page for Build With Canada listeners too, where you can sign up to chat with him for free. And to help you further when you do that, I'll also email you the mortgage checklist, which is a guide on the top things to look for and consider when choosing a mortgage. So the page to speak with Sean and get your mortgage questions answered for free is buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean. That's buildwealthcanada.ca ca slash Sean, S-E-A-N. All right, I hope you find that helpful. And now back to the show. Now, uh, knowing what you know now, if you had to start over to work your way towards financial independence, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, no, no mistakes, um, like from uh, um, just other than, you know, like I said earlier, worrying less, you know, I think I, I, maybe worrying caused unnecessary stress and, you know, overall, but that, that affects many aspects of my life. Just worrying less is probably a good uh, a key life lesson. Um, but um, other than that, you know, from, from being retired, one of the, the, the things that I've learned is um, that routines are really important when you become really, when you become retired um, especially, you know, retired early and espe- even especially so when you retire with children. Um, so like you said earlier, you know, we have t- three children. So for us, routines is uh, really important because um, although we retired to become full-time parents and our number one priority in our lives is, is our kids. And, you know, we, we do as we spend as much time as we can with our kids, but we, we do realize that we do need some personal time, like adults, um, the adults in the family, my wife and I, we need some time to work on our hobbies and our personal projects. And, you know, for me, for the last year, it's been, you know, writing this book and taking some time away to, to, to go in a quiet room and, and write and blog and sometimes just go in a quiet room and, and read. Um, so for us, we, we, we stick to routines. We, we have a, we have a weekly routine where, you know, day one, it's, you know, uh, family time. And then in the afternoon, you know, one adult gets a certain amount of time on their own and then day two, same thing. And then we take turns and then in there we carve out the time that's needed to go, you know, run the errands, go do the groceries. Um, so we're very, uh, we're very specific in our, our weekly routines and in our schedules. And I, I find that works really well. It really lets us, uh, um, see what our week's going to be like and really helps us or forces us to take the time to, um, to work on our personal projects, but it also allows us to really be present when it's the family time or the time that we spend with the kids. Cause we know we're going to have some time later to work on our, you know, the things we want to, we want to work. So it, it prevents us from being sort of like half, um, half around or half, uh, family time, half working. Um, we, we, if we stick to our routine, then we, we, we find we get a lot more done and we have a lot more, uh, a, a lot, a lot better week that way. Yeah, it's very interesting and maybe even a bit counterintuitive because I remember when we were still working our way towards financial independence. And I think for a lot of people, we think, okay, you're retired now. So 
why set a routine, why set, why impose structure on yourself? You had to deal with structure your whole life almost, right? Where you had to go to work, you had to be at work at a certain time or around a certain time. So when you're retired, you don't have to deal with that anymore. So it's this like big sense of freedom. But I, I hear you, and, and maybe this is because of the kids and we have children too, is that by having an actual routine, you're able to be fully, you know, if you're doing your own thing, you're fully present on that. And when you're with your kids, you can be fully present on that as opposed to splitting your attention 50-50 because you never got to do that one thing you wanted to do. And so you're half thinking about that, half thinking about the kids. And then, so you're not really doing either well, essentially. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting to hear you say that because we've had the same experience where I thought it was going to be this totally unstructured thing. And then it turns out structure actually works really, really well because you get to prioritize things the way you want, as opposed to just kind of letting the day flow however it may. And then, you know, you may not actually focus on where you want to focus. So yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Um, You mentioned in your book that you don't really budget in the traditional sense. Can you take us through how you managed your cash flows with your wife during the accumulation phase? So as you're working your way towards early retirement, and how do you do it now in early retirement if it's any different? Um, yeah, for, for, for us in the accumulation, accumulation stage, it was um, mostly just analyzing our expenses. It's, in the book, I, I, one of my chapters is called Don't Budget, Just Analyze. Uh, I've never liked the idea of you know, creating a budget because I find creating a budget is, you know, you, you, I'm going to spend this, this much on entertainment, you know, $300 a month on entertainment, $400 on groceries. Um, and then you know, you try to live within those parameters, but then, you know, it's sometimes you're going to, well, a lot of times you're going to surpass those numbers and then you're just going to either feel guilty or you're going to avoid doing those things. And then it doesn't leave you with a great feeling, you know, and it doesn't motivate you to keep, keep on track of your budget. You know, a lot of times people do a budget like that. And then uh, a couple months down the road, after seeing that they, you know, surpassed a lot of categories or blown their budget, they give up on their budget. And that, that's never a good idea because some sort of um, financial analyzing or budgeting is better than nothing. So what we've always done is just we analyze our expenses. So we, we, after a month is done or a couple months are done, we, we look, we look back on the previous month, all of our expenses down to the last dollar, even cash spending. And we, 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 we see where all our money went and then it, it, it allows us to reflect on, um, you know, what, where our money's going and and if it is where we want it to be you know if we see month after month that you know there's a certain category of our spending that's way higher than we think it should be well naturally we're going to sort of change our behavior or change our lifestyle around that and doing this from the beginning in our accumulation stage it really allowed us to see what our spending looked like from a from a sort of working standpoint and how much of our expenses was related to actually you know, living in our house with our, what our mortgage payments, what our mortgage payment represented with a, as a percentage of our total of spending and how much car payments represented as a total, a total spending. And so the, 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 the big difference between when we were, you know, building up for retirement and now I would say is previously we would sort of do it on a monthly basis. Now we more look at our expenses from an annual perspective. Um, uh, we, we look back on, you know, 2020 and see, you know, we spent 29500 and where did that money go? And then we, you know, we can compare that to 2019 and then we compare that to 2018. And we could see if, you know, if our spending is going up, if, you know, if, if one one of these years, you know, we spend 40000 instead of 30000 well, then we can see, you know, where where did we spend extra? And was that, 
was that what we expected? If it's not what we expected, then, you know, we need to discuss, you know, did we do anything wrong? If it is exactly how we saw it, and this is how we expect going forward to spend this higher amount than we did before, well, we just need to plan around that. You know, we just need to make sure that the cash flows or the, the income is going to reflect the, you know, the expenses long-term. So yeah, that's how, uh, that, that, that's how we've been proceeding from, uh, from our, you know, analyzing instead of budgeting, um, uh, for, for our expenses. So it sounds like you would add up all the different components. And so you would have different line items like car groceries or just, you know, regular sort of living expenses. And then do you actually have a certain target where, okay, we think our groceries should be around X amount. And then that way you kind of have a flag go off where, okay, if it's like 20% more than that, then, okay, we need to sort of reevaluate this. Is, is that how you do it? Or do you not uh, even set any sort of target or range? I, I don't set, I don't set a target. I, I, we just look at based on historical. So, um, so, you know, if we've traditionally spent on average $500 a month in groceries, and then, you know, we did our, our analyzing for 2020 and all of a sudden our, our grocery expenses were 700 per month on average. Um, then, you know, then I would just wonder what, what happened this year that we spent $200 more per month. And, you know, maybe it's justified. Maybe it's, you know, we, 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 we just decided to eat a lot healthier this year and it costs a lot more money or, or maybe, you know, our third child started eating more and we, you know, so it's just finding explanation or it could be that, you know, maybe this year we, we didn't, uh, we didn't optimize our, our grocery spending as much and we didn't really watch out, you know, where we were spending our money, you know, going to the lower cost grocery store rather than the higher end one in town. And, you know, then, then maybe we're like, okay, well, let, let's make a focus going forward to optimize our, our grocery spending, or it could be something entirely different. It could be on the, um, um, uh, you know, internet, cell phone category of our spending. If we saw, you know, in one year we spent $300 and then the next year we spent 500 and then we're like, oh, maybe it's time to reevaluate our cell phone plan and our internet plan. Maybe, you know, those expenses have creeped up. Maybe it's time to just look at them. And, and then we do a bit of shopping, spend an afternoon analyzing the market and we find a new service provider and we, you know, bring those expenses back down to the, the number it was historically, you know. Um, yeah, it allows us to see, you know, where the, the increases are. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you do that, you said on kind of an annual basis, now that you're retired, whereas when you're working up to that, you wanted to micromanage that a little bit more, it sounds like, because you do have this savings target that you're really trying to hit. Whereas it sounds like now that you're retired, you you already hit that goal. So it's more, you want to make sure that your spending doesn't get out of proportion, you know, unknowingly. And then all of a sudden, you know, things aren't really, like your investments are having trouble keeping up with your increase in expenses. Does that sound about right? Yeah, exactly. And, okay. And especially, especially like in, in, in retirement, it's, to me, it's, it's not a big deal if, you know, if one month we, you know, we spend a thousand more than we normally would. Um, cause month to month it, it's, you know, the thousand dollars could be, you know, we decided to buy a, you know, a playground for the backyard or, or something like that. But on an annual basis, you know, that's where we see the, the, the correlation or the, uh, the trajectory. If, if, you know, on a year to year basis, we're seeing like a constant increase, then it doesn't necessarily mean we need to, reduce our spending. It just means that m maybe we need to look at to make sure that our investments are, are keeping up with our spending. So mm -hmm. it's just a, it's just from that standpoint, when, now that we're retired, it's just to make sure that both categories are, are still lining up long-term for us, especially because, you know, we do have a long trajectory. We, 
we do plan to be retired for the next, uh, you know, 60 years, you know, so we have to make sure that we're keeping those numbers in line, I guess, um, long-term. Is there a software that you like to use to track that or just use a spreadsheet? Uh, just spreadsheet. We do everything on, uh, on Google sheets, um, online. So we have access to it on all our devices and, um, my wife and I can each go on there and make changes or add expenses and stuff or, or add comments if we have to. Okay. So you'll, you'll look through like a credit card statement and you'll see all the grocery items and then you just put that total in a spreadsheet and then that's yeah. pretty much uh, it. Is that how you do it? Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I mean, and then bills and stuff like the, like utility bills, all those things we, as I pay them, I, I put them directly into a spreadsheet. So, and then, yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then after that, it's just going through the credit card statement. So. Gotcha. So this way, so it is like a, it sounds like a monthly thing just so that you remember, or it's an ongoing thing if it's a bill you pay, but for something like groceries, I guess, is it a monthly thing at that point? Just so that you remember what the different spending things are? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I wait too long, then yeah, I'll forget what, what the actual spending was. So yeah, on a monthly basis, I'll put everything into a spreadsheet, but then I don't look at it till year end, but yeah, everything goes into the spreadsheet on a month to month basis. And, uh, and the, the utility expenses or bills, um, those, you know, get put in as we make them. And then, yeah, then we reflect on it at the end of the year. Okay. That's, that's great. Yeah. I find if I wait too long, then I'll ask my wife like, Hey, what was this thing you bought? And then she can't remember it. Cause if, you know, like if I ask her something three months ago, right. So it's, it's trying to find that sweet spot where you're not spending too much time micromanaging that stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to leave too much of a space where you don't like, they don't remember. Right. And then, yeah, so it's, it's trying to kind of find that. So you said a, a month works well for you guys. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Um, now, how do you guys structure the withdrawals from your investment portfolio, including real estate, so that they are tax efficient? Um, so for us, like I find the 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 um, the sweet spot is like thirty thousand, you know, total income. So um, we try to to keep our reported income around thirty thousand because then we get to maximize, you know, CCB, uh, the Canada Child Benefits, and we. We pay very little taxes at, at that threshold as well. So, and we'll we'll talk about CCB a, a little later. Um, but uh, yeah, so we um, and so far in in retirement, we've been able to achieve that thirty thousand um, income just based on our, our rental property income. Um, but so we haven't really had to you know withdraw money from our investments since we retired. Um, but one of these years, you know, we may look at you know if if, if we're able to. In one of these years, our reported income goes even lower and, you know, we can take out some money and really not like we can, you know, look at the tax advantages of potentially taking out our RSPs in the next few years um, so that we pay little taxes on it while we take them out. And, you know, on years where, you know, we have very low income. So we probably plan it around that based on which years um, and what our reported incomes are. We also have a lot of money um, right now that is outside of our registered account so that like, like, you know, we have an EQ bank account, kind of like you, you know, and we, we keep all of our money there that's sort of outside of our, uh, our registered accounts and sort of low risk. That's sort of our money that we use on a day-to-day basis. But that money in the last few years has grown pretty high. So that's sort of our, our first shot, our first, uh, our first place to go to if we need money in retirement um, for withdrawals. And then after that, we look at our registered accounts and based on what would make the most sense from a tax standpoint year to year. Do you hold any investments in your taxable accounts, like dividend paying you know, ETFs, anything like that? No, I, that, yeah, no, not at this point. At, at, at this point, our, our 
in our non-registered accounts, it's just high interest uh, savings. So um, I, the way I see it is that the the money in a non-registered account is, um, you know, with EQ Bank, you know, earning 1.5% interest. Um, I see that as kind of like a bond. So, you know, um, at one point we had almost $100,000 in, in those accounts. Um, that that would, in, in when I do my, my analysis of our, you know, assets or index funds, I put that as like bonds because it's generating, you know, almost on the same level as what a bond would generate. And then based on that, um, the rest of our registered accounts, our RSPs and our TFSAs are invested in uh, index ETFs, but in a pretty um, aggressive um, growth ETF. So let's say it's 80% stocks and 20% bonds. Well, now, you know, if we add in our our, our registered accounts, which are or non-registered accounts, which are in uh, high interest savings accounts, which I treat like a bond, then, you know, maybe instead of being 80-20, we're really at like a 60-40. So it's just, it sort of reduces our, our risk level a bit. Um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I remember reading your book. You mentioned that you're a big fan of Vigro as the one that you hold in your. Yeah. So when someone's just for anybody maybe new to this, when he's saying aggressive, he's not talking about some speculative, you know, mining <laughs> yeah. company up north no. or Bitcoin or you know, he's not talking yeah. about that. Uh, he's talking in a sense of basically your equity to bond split. So with Vigro, mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's is it eighty twenty. If I yeah, correctly. yeah, yeah. So. yeah, yeah. So AD equity, twenty percent bond. Which, if you had talked to advisors or you know people in the field, they'll say that's you know on the aggressive side, referring to the volatility you can endure or that you are likely to experience in that. So it's kind of you know higher yeah. potential growth, but also higher you know potential volatility uh, is what we're talking about. So yeah, just just want to clear that up in case someone's like, oh, aggressive. So he's you know investing mm -hmm. in some <laughs> like doing some angel investing or <laughs> something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> I haven't, uh, yeah, didn't I haven't I haven't succumbed to buying some GameStop uh, uh, GameStop <laughs> stock yet. So, uh, um, yeah, sticking to the to the ETF investing, and I, I find you know that's the the best route. And it's you know you you do you know you you do go down, but uh, everything seems to come back up. And you know one thing that you know like I say I like I like having a certain amount of money in 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 like a high interest savings account because it helps diversify a little bit it's it's a lot lower risk you know because it's a guaranteed uh, you know 1.5% and um just in the fall we had recently sold a uh, a real estate holding that we had um we 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 reevaluated re our finances last year and we decided that we can go down to one rental property and it would generate enough cash flow for us um along with our you know our our our, our net worth being almost entirely in, into index ETFs with still a, you know, a real estate property. And at the time when we did that, we had a big, uh, you know, windfall cash wise when we sold our real estate holdings. And we were, that's when we opened our first, you know, non-registered account. And um, we, at the time I was thinking, well, it's good that we have a sizable amount in a, in a, in a, in a tax, in a high interest savings account, because, there's a lot of volatility coming up in the market, you know, with the U S elections and stuff. So maybe it's better that we're diversified a little bit more. And then lo and behold, actually the stock markets kept going up another 10% in the, in the later part of the year. So um, <laughs> it would have probably been better off just investing at all in ETFs all, at all the times, but I still like the comfort level of having a certain amount in um, a high interest savings account, which, you know, it gives us, that's the money we're going to go to first if we need it. And, even if there's a market crash tomorrow, we still have this money that we can go to that's not going to be affected by a market crash. Mm -hmm. 
I hear you. I, I do things the same way. Definitely try to keep as much in equities as possible, but definitely also nice to have a bit in a hydro savings account. Like I said, I use EQ as well, just so that, yeah, I mean, for those credit card payments, you know, property tax, things like that. You've got some money sitting there ready to go. You don't have to sell every time that you have a big expense to pay. You don't have to sell equities all the time or eagerly waiting for those dividends to show up once a quarter, right? So that you have it. This way you've got a bit of a buffer as well. So uh, I, I hear you. I find that's a pretty big, I, I found that to be very helpful. And especially from a stress relief perspective as well, right? I just to know that, okay, I've got some money sitting there that's going to cover X amount of credit card payments for the next, you know, whatever length you feel comfortable yeah. with, right? It, there, there's definitely some benefit to that hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So early retirement seems like an unattainable dream to many people, yet it's surprising how attainable it can actually be when you crunch the numbers. And one of my favorite parts of your book was how you were able to cut $53,000 in spending annually by retiring early. Can you tell us a bit about how early retirement allows you to make such drastic cuts and consequently how a lot of Canadians may actually be much closer to an early retirement than first meets the eye? Yeah, um, yeah. To me, that was a big shocker as well. When I uh, when we first crunched the numbers, we we had uh, when we when we first set out set out on the path to you know, you know we want to retire early. We you know analyzed our entire spending for for the last given the last full year, and we had spent eighty three thousand dollars. And then we just looked at you know where you know what are our expenses? What are what you know what are our top five expenses? And then right away we saw you know our number one expense was our mortgage. Our which you know eventually we would we would get rid of. The second expense was our daycare, which because we had two kids, we, we two kids in daycare, costing us twenty four thousand dollars a year in you know in a bigger city like Ottawa. Um, that was our second expense, and then our our fourth expense was our car payment, um, which was also something we could you know realistically get rid of down the road. So just by you know handling these three expenses, we and then also. Also, assuming we can, you know, get to a lower cost of living area, which we eventually did, our property taxes went down. So, yeah, we we essentially just by taking care of, you know, something as simple as, you know, eliminating our mortgage, eliminating car payments, eliminating daycare, and then finding somewhere that has lower property taxes, um, we were able to cut fifty three thousand from our total expenses, and we were already we were already down to thirty thousand annual spending. Um, I mean, I say that you know something as simple as a mortgage payment. It's 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 not it's not that simple from from a high level perspective. But if you are willing to relocate, like like we did, or even just downsize, um, you know, you could. A lot of Canadians could be mortgage free, and I discuss this in in the book that you know a lot of people may already be sitting on a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand in equity in their homes, especially with the you know the the big uh, real estate boom of 20 uh of 2020 that we saw um with many houses you know in in certain areas of the country going up in prices and you know if you sold a house and you you know you you come out of a real estate transaction with with 150 or 200,000 dollars you could find some some cities in Canada where you could live you could buy a property for that price and you know be mortgage free and pay much lower taxes in the in the chapter on my in my book about you know, low cost of living. I even talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, a friend of ours in Ottawa who even, you know, d- just decided to move to, you know, Gatineau, which is, you know, just 20 minutes, you know, from downtown Ottawa. And he was able to find a property for, you know, half the price of what you would find in Ottawa. So it's not, 
it's not necessarily, you know, you don't have to do like us and move to, to Northern Ontario. For us, Northern Ontario is a good fit because my wife and I are both from Northern Ontario and we, we have a lot of roots here, a lot of family. So we were able to find a property and, and live mortgage free here. But uh, yeah, there's plenty of options, you know, even in, you know, where you in, in Southern Ontario, you can, you know, go a little bit further west to Windsor or to uh, um, other areas where you can find, uh, you know, lower cost of living areas. Um, but yeah, just by eliminating daycare, uh, mortgage, car payments, and reducing our property taxes, we were already under 30000 in annual expenses, which was a big shock to us. That was, uh, that was sort of the, the, the key moment where we, we said, well, yeah, actually, early retirement is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love that part in your book, how you actually broke it all down and where that 53000 came from. And because I, I really think that, or my hypothesis is that there are many Canadians where you know they'll, they'll hear a number like 30,000 or 40,000 spending a year. And I've gotten comments like this before, like, that's ridiculous. Like, what did you do? Live under a bridge? Or, you know, <laughs> I've gotten weird, you know, emails like that. And it's like, well, no, because you can't just say, well, I'm spending, like what you said, I think you said 83,000 a year, right? You can't mm-hmm. just be like, oh, well, I'm spending 83,000 a year now. And therefore, if I was to retire, I need 83,000 in retirement. That's just not true because so many things that you're currently spending money on, you actually don't need to spend. Like, do you really need two cars if both of you don't work anymore, right? Um, mm-hmm. Well, you probably are okay with getting away with just one. And that's something we did. And I know you guys did that too. And then, yeah, the housing thing as well, right? Is, well, how could I possibly live on this little money? Look how much I spend on my mortgage every month. And it's like, well, okay, but if you've got equity in your house, especially recently, right? Because of how much the prices have been going up. What if you sold that and moved somewhere else? And now your mortgage is either nothing or very, very little, right? And again, you don't have to commute to work anymore because you're retired. So you don't need to pay that premium to live in Toronto to be closer to your work because you're not working anymore. And so I think that's a really big paradigm shift, I would call it, you know, that people have to sort of get through where just because you're spending this much now and 30 or 40,000 sounds like a ridiculous amount. Like it sounds like maybe you and I are eating craft dinner every day. Uh, that's not necessarily yeah. the case because you are able to cut expensive expenses massively. Like you mentioned the property tax, the mortgage thing is a big one. I mean, when, when you showed me, well, not you didn't show me the, the, in your book when I read and I saw your daycare numbers, I mean, they were huge. And I mean, yeah, you've got three kids. So, I mean, that's, that's going to be a lot. And I mean, to no longer have to pay any of that because you, the kids are at home with you uh, is, yeah. is fantastic, right? So yeah, just something I think everybody has to sort of crunch these numbers for yourself and think, okay, if I actually wasn't working anymore at all, would this expense really be there? Like the second car loan that we have, that that yeah. wouldn't be there. You could just sell your car like what you guys did, right? Or yeah, mm. so I, I think that's, I don't know, to me, I think that's a huge, uh, huge eye-opener because it's easy to just dismiss your 30K a year spending or 40K a year spending when that actually is pretty reasonable. Uh, like yeah, mm. our our numbers 40k a year that's what i kind of you know try to stick to and, and yeah we've been, we've been under that and it's not because we're trying to be super cheap and frugal all the time although maybe my wife would you know argue that because <laughs> i'm i'm the more frugal one but i mean still right it's not it, you know that that it, for that same lifestyle while you're working you would be paying a lot more is, is all i'm trying to say so yeah so thank you very much for sharing that and yeah i encourage people to check out the book where you kind of break that down because it is some analysis i think everyone has to do um so yeah. You're also retired with three kids, and kids are often seen as this massive expense that makes early retirement you know, nearly impossible, I'm sure some would say. Can you talk about how that's not necessarily so, especially with the Canada Child Benefit that parents are eligible for? 
Um, yeah, that's that's a good point, and and it, it's not something that you know struck that that you know was part of our plan at the beginning. It was you know when we when we the first thing we did when we decided we wanted to retire early was we looked at our expenses, and then we said you know we needed thirty thousand, and then we you know set out a plan to how we can generate thirty thousand in cash flow, and that would be done through real estate and and some index investing, and then you know then we started looking into you know the, the Canada Child benefit and. And, you know, we were really surprised by how generous it is for people who want to retire early. Um, you know, I, I give the example in the book that, you know, if you um, even even if you don't, even if you just, you know, you don't you don't have to aim for 30,000 in, in annual expenses. But even if you live on 50,000 in, in uh, annual income, you know, if, if just one spouse decided to quit their jobs and the other one worked part time or full time and made 50,000, you know, if you reduce your annual reported income to 50,000 and you have two children, um, you know, you can, you'd be entitled for near to, to over $10,000 a year in CCB benefits. Um, if you had two children, so that's a huge bonus, you know, that people may not take into consideration, um, that, you know, children, you know, they, they, they aren't cheap. They aren't free to, you know, to raise children, but they don't, you know, the CCB, uh, really does, um, offset a lot of the costs of, having children in retirement. I mean, for us, we're, you know, earning under $30,000 a year. Um, we're entitled to over 20,000 in CCB benefits. Um, like I mentioned in my book, we've, we haven't been able to, you know, fully benefit from these, from these payments yet, because we've been getting very lucky with our investments, with our real estate, with some, some other, you know, financial windfalls with our, um, with our, with our investments this in the last couple of years. So we haven't been able to you know, reduce our reported income to that level. So we haven't been able to, you know, benefit from the, the, the maximum amount, but it, it is something in the, in the next few years, if we, if we optimize our taxes, optimize how we, uh, re- the, 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 the amount of income we, we report, we could be entitled for a very high CCB, which essentially, um, you know, offsets the entire cost of, of raising children. Um, one thing I, I, I think of is, you know, if, if you're used to spending a hundred thousand dollars a year and uh, you have a very expensive lifestyle, you, you know, you, you and you and a spouse, you, you spend a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, even with a very good CCB benefit of let's say 5,000 or 10,000 a year, you know, it, it may not cover the cost of raising children because, you know, you already have an expensive lifestyle. So, you know, it'll cover some of it, but it may not cover it all. But if you're able to reduce your spending as a couple to, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. Well then, you know, a $10,000 boost, that's 20% increase. Well, that, that could cover all the expenses that a child will give you. So yeah, someone's contemplating early retirement, but you know, they, they, they fear that, you know, maybe kids will, you know, put a wrench in the, in the tires. It, it really won't. I, I find that, you know, with the benefits we have here in Canada with the CCB, um, you know, children don't necessarily, you know, they, you know, CCB won't, you know, I don't think CCB will make you richer in retirement. It won't give you, you know, necessarily extra income because you have kids, but it will essentially offset the cost of the children in your retirement plan. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And I was just doing some quick math here while you're, while you're talking. So one of the, let's say you're getting this $10,000 extra per year through the CCB. Uh, if you're using the 4% rule, uh, which I know there's, you know, arguments and you can't just use it 
only use that. But if you were to do that, you basically you multiply by 25. So 10,000 times 25 is $250,000 in terms of your sort of portfolio value to generate that mm-hmm. same amount using the 4% rule. So if you're thinking, okay, I need a million dollars to retire uh, and I have kids and all that. Well, okay. Well, if you were able to, let's say, get $10,000 a year through the CCB, you know, that'd be equivalent to $250,000 of your portfolio. So now you're at 750,000 that you need instead of the million, right? So um, that's just some, and, and again, there's this 4% rule and there's, you know, there's arguments against just using it plainly like that. So I, I am oversimplifying a bit, but my my main core point here is that, okay, let's say it's not 200,000 or 250,000, let's say it's 200,000. I mean, you can shave off hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, like six figures essentially from how much you need to retire if you're factoring in the CCB. Um, so it is something to basically not ignore. Uh, I guess don't assume it's always going to be there. I know you mentioned that you you know you don't fully rely on it because who knows if things will change politically in Canada and if it gets eliminated or changed or whatnot. Um, but I mean, it is something definitely to not just kind of skim over uh, if you have kids because yeah. it can it should be a very significant part. I would say of your early retirement planning uh, if you have children. And, and it basically incentivizes yeah. you to be, a, for one of you guys to be a stay-at-home parent at least, right? Is what I found. Like yeah. if you're not making, you know, if you're not making like a six-figure salary, you know, like some people, you know, they, you know, maybe you're making 50K a year, let's say, then, I mean, do the math, right? Like you, it may be the case where it's like, well, I can stay home with the kids. I no longer have to pay for daycare. And, yeah, maybe you don't make as much as when you were working, but the amount might actually be so small that you're like, hey, I would rather you know not have to go to work every day and basically be a yeah. stay-at-home parent, and I'm only taking a our household's only taking a minor pay cut to do that because of CCB. So yeah, definitely just advising everyone to really have that on your radar as it really is a game changer. It's not some petty like twenty dollars a month you know that you're getting. I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars over the course of a year. Yeah, and, and anybody who's 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 on the path to early retirement or, or, or thinking of, of the idea of early retirement and uh, in corp with children, um, I encourage them to 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 go on the government of Canada's website. You just just Google uh, CCB calculator, and the government has a really good tool where you know you input you know your 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 details you know what your projected annual income is and you know your the the age of your children and then it'll tell you exactly how much you're entitled to on an annual basis and i guarantee you if you've never used this tool and you go on there you're going to be very surprised to see um what you're entitled to at different income thresholds so it's a really good tool to just you know try different scenarios try a scenario if you if one spouse stopped working and the family income went down to sixty thousand. try a certain scenario where you both stopped working or try a scenario where you you know, you could based on your current income and, you know, if you do decide to have kids in the next few years. So it's uh, definitely a good tool to look at to see what you are entitled to. Yeah, it's a great tool just to run different scenarios, right? And it's interesting how it works, right? Where basically the less you make as a household, the more you get for free, <laughs> essentially. So it works out, it works out pretty great. Now, um, most of the early retirees, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The, the other thing I was just going to mention is all these benefits, the, the CCB it, are all tax-free payments as well, which is, you know, also a big point for early retirees, you know, if you are, you know, living on a very low reported income and paying very little taxes, and then you get a, you know, a, a bonus, I, I almost call it like gravy, the, the CCB, it's, it doesn't even increase your income, it doesn't even, you don't get taxed on it. So it really is a, a pretty uh, generous benefit. For sure. Now, most of the early retirees I've talked to and researched, they basically built up large 
investment portfolios with the intention of never working again. So not generating any sort of income, you know, after they do the early retirement thing. But once they actually reach that financial independence number, they eventually ended up taking on some fun side projects that actually bring in an income. And so therefore, it, they didn't actually need as large of an investment portfolio as they initially thought. And if only they factored in factored that in prior to retirement, they could have retired much earlier. I know this happened to, you know, to me, Bryson Christie, like basically an overwhelming majority, almost all of the early retirees I've studied. This is something that that we did. Uh, can you share your experience with this? As it seems to be extremely common with early retirees, and Canadians can really definitely retire much earlier if they actually include some anticipation of future side income like this in their early retirement plans. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, you know, that's definitely the case for for us as well. We've, uh, you know, we haven't really, you know had a, 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 you know, a side income or a side business that, you know, has generated a significant amount of money, but we have made more money than we anticipated just by, you know, finding even more optimizations in our real estate and actually, you know, selling some of our real estate and making a lot more money. Our net worth was worth more than we even thought it was when we retired. So um, all these things could have, you know, allowed us to retire a lot sooner. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, um, you know, writing this book was, you know, it's, it, 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 I did it, I did it from a, you know, from a personal project standpoint, and it wasn't really about, about the money, but it will likely generate, you know, some income. And, you know, that's a bonus that, you know, that I would not have anticipated or, or thought of. And, and I'm sure there's going to be a number of these opportunities in the future of other things that'll, you know, you know, come upon us where we will make additional money. Um, but one thing that, you know, I like that I, that I, that I like not anticipating these things is that, you know, if I would have retired early with the anticipation that we were going to make extra income, well, then these, you know, personal, you know, passion projects such as, you know, writing a book maybe wouldn't have been as rewarding because I would have been doing it with the assumption that, you know, I need to write this and I need to generate a certain amount of income. And then it, then it would have felt more like, you know, an obligation rather than it being like, you know, I'm doing this purely for a personal standpoint. And, uh, you know, if it generates income, it's just a bonus. Um, so yeah, I, I like to see, I, I like the idea that we didn't anticipate any additional income. And when we do, if we do generate additional incomes with, you know, side gigs or, um, you know, projects or, you know, business ventures, then it really is just a bonus. Uh, and it's, and it's not something that, you know, we're obligated to do. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess if you feel like you have to do it because that's what you put in your projections, it, it can kind of suck the fun out of the project a little bit potentially, right? Because you're like, oh, I have to monetize this because that we're depending yeah. on this money versus just not having to do it. So yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective for sure. Um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. So through my research and, and own experience, I found that getting that sense of fulfillment can actually be a challenge for retirees when they no longer have to work. And I know in your book, you said that being a dad gives you that sense of fulfillment, but is there anything else outside of parenting that you find really helps in this regard? And I find this answer might particularly be helpful for those retirees who either don't have kids or those who have kids, but the kids are out on their own now. And so they no longer require that large time investment anymore. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, if, for us, it's, you know, like you said, it's, you know, being a parent because that occupies like the, the majority of our time. But for me, you know, I, I found fulfillment and just in, in, you know, taking the time and, and writing and, you know, doing something like writing a book that, that was a very fulfilling project. You know, it was uh, to, 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 to see it through to the end and to actually, 
you know, published it was, was very fulfilling. And, you know, I anticipate that, you know, uh, it's something I like doing. So it's something I may keep doing, you know, I may keep writing um, more regularly and may write more regularly on our blog and may work on another book. I have every day I come up with a new book idea that, I, you know, I think of, you know, this would make a good book. So then I write it down, but now I have 50 ideas for a book. So I don't <laughs> know which one I'll work on, but, um, but I, you know, we, it is important to find those, those things that will fulfill you because yeah, I can see that as being, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if you're, you're someone who is, you know, very proud of their career or proud of their job and, and, you know, and that, you know, once you walk away from that, you do need something, you do, you do need something that, you know, gives you fulfillment and gives you a purpose. So yeah, it's important to, to find, find stuff like that. And for us, like you said, it is, it is being a parent, but there will come a time when, when our children will need us a lot less and they will need our attention a lot less as they grow older. So my wife and I always brainstorm on, you know, small business ideas for the future. You know, you know maybe when the kids are older, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. You know, maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll, we'll take on this business idea, but we always, you know, brainstorm ideas that of stuff that, you know, what kind of business can we run in the future where, you know, it's very hands, hands off and something that, you know, we're excited about, but something that we could, you know, walk away and go on, go on a three month trip if we want to, you know? Um, so those are things that we, we think about a lot because there will come a time where we will need, you know, additional fulfillment if the, you know, when the kids get older, um, Another thing is traveling, you know, traveling is a big part of our, of our, of our lifestyle. And, you know, we do, we do a lot of camping. We, we did over 30 nights of camping last summer, this, this upcoming summer, we hope to, to, to take on a, a trip to the West coast camping as well. Um, you know, that's, that's a very fulfilling part of our lifestyle. And that could be, you know, a lot of people that, that retire without kids, that is, you know, how they get their fulfillment. They just travel the world. Um, so yeah, that's, I anticipate that, you know, our traveling will just keep getting more and more as our kids get older, because it'll get easier to travel with, with older kids and to take on more, you know, um, bigger adventures and, and, and the sort. So, yeah. Did you guys encounter a retirement honeymoon type phase? That's pretty common where you handed in your resignations, you're retired now. So you have a lot of fun, just kind of easygoing. And then after a while, you're kind of looking for that sort of fulfillment, that next project. Is that when your book started or how did you guys experience that at all? It's a very common thing. I know I definitely gone, uh, went through it as well. Um, no, not really, because I, I think like um, right from the, the beginning of, of retirement, we've, we've really kept extremely busy just with, you know, renovating the, the house we had purchased and, and, and um, you know, handling our, our real estate investments and just, you know, we did a, we did the first summer we retired, we, we went to the East coast and we did a, a 30 day camping trip, just exploring all the provinces on the East coast of Canada. And, and then we, and then we, we had a child in retirement, um, which that really didn't allow us to, you know, take a breath because we, we were, you know, dealing with a newborn and, you know, sleepless nights and, and the busyness. So we really, I guess we might not even have gotten past the honeymoon stage yet. I guess we're, we've just been, um, incredibly busy. And, um, then the, the book came about, you know, in the last year when, you know, things started slowing down a little bit. Um, but no, I can't say that we, we, we experienced like a, a drop off in, in, in a honeymoon stage, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if you have, if you have kids, it's a different <laughs> thing, right? Cause it's yeah. like, oh, we had another kid and we already had two. And so that kept us pretty busy. <laughs> so it's, it's hard yeah. to, you know, go for that full blown relaxation, 
when uh, yeah. yeah when you have all these things to do, especially with with the children. So uh, I hear you. So yeah. what are your goals and plans now? You know, especially now that the book is written. Um, well, like I said, um, assuming things you know open up a little, you know, with the COVID regulations, and um, hopefully we get we get to experience a somewhat normal spring summer coming up, and we hope to do you know our family hopes to do a lot more traveling this coming year since we've haven't been able to do traveling for the last uh, year or so. Um, we just actually just purchased the motorhome, the my wife and I. So we uh, that was kind of uh, something we contemplated for a long time. We've always been you know, very strong, like camping enthusiasts and done a lot of camping, mostly tent camping. Um, but we decided to dive in and buy a motorhome now. And we're going to try that this, this coming spring, summer. And we're hoping, like I said, to do a, a big trip in the, the West coast of Canada, probably spend about 60 days over there. Um, and the motorhome is going to be great with the three kids, you know, we'll be able to, you know, sit them at the table and do more activities while we drive and do the long, long days of driving. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I hope to in, in going forward. I hope to, you know, write a lot more, keep our keep our blog a lot more active. Um, um, you know, for for me, it's it's been you know when we can find the free time, and 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 for us in September when the we had two of our kids start, or we had one child already in school, but then our second child went to school full time, so it really opened up a lot more free time for us. We still had one more ch- child here at home with us. Um, but in the future, when all three of them are going to be, you know, in school, we're going to have a, way more free time and we're going to, uh, you know, then we're going to really start working on more, uh, you know, personal projects and, you know, potentially, you know, write more books in the future, more blog related uh, st- activity. So, yeah, just uh, more traveling, more writing, um, keep uh, growing the family. So, Awesome. Well, that sounds great. So we already covered this, but maybe tell us again, just remind us best place to get your book, uh, where we can get it. And and yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. Um, yeah, well, like I said, the book, best best place to find it is on Amazon, either search directly on Amazon or or get the link from our website at mindfulfamily.ca. Um, yeah. And then, and, and on our blog, you know, our blog is, is mindful family. Cause it's, it's not really, it's not really a strictly financial blog um because we we blog about you know some of the parenting the parenting ideas we have you know our our obstacles and some of the 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 successes we've had um parenting and then we talk a lot about you know our, the things we do for our health and then we also talk a lot about about finance related topics so yeah lots of good content there and then yeah you can find the link on that website as well awesome all right well, well thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk next time take care Okay, thanks. Thanks, Bye. Take care. Bye. All right. Thanks so much for joining me this month. A big thanks to Rajan for coming on the show. Also, don't forget to check out that high interest savings account and the new high interest TFSA and RRSP where you can get that really high interest rate of 2.3%. And that's over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E and the letter Q. And after you open the account, just send me any confirmation email you get from them to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca. And I'll send you my guide on the top ETFs in Canada, which includes everything that I currently invest in and why. Also, don't forget about some of the other free resources we have available. So if you have any financial planning related questions, you can reach out to John over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash John for a free 30-minute consultation. If you have any mortgage related questions or real estate questions, you can reach out to Sean Cooper over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean. That's S E. A-N. And for any investing type questions, you can check out the course, which is over at buildwealthcanada.com.
ca/invest. Again, thanks so much for joining me. Please leave a review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Thanks again for coming and see you next month. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.